0: Monday, December 29th, and this is Season 6, Episode 18 of the 4 Stars Spurs Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. With me this week, we have Lucas. Hello, hello, hello. Joe. Hello there. And Jeff. Hello. Well, uh, happy holidays. I hope everybody had a terrific uh, holiday period. Um, and... Uh, we're coming up on the new year. But um, but I want to start the conversation today with a, a question that comes from one of our uh, loyal listeners, Kyle Mates. And it was actually how I was going to break the ice anyway. So you hit right on uh, my zeitgeist, uh, um, Kyle. So he asks, uh, Conte is undefeated through seven Premier League matches, four wins and three draws. What grade would you give him so far? And we'll use the um, – the, the, um, since most of us are Americans here – We'll use like the American uh, grade system, so A, B, C, D, uh, failure, and I guess maybe satisfactory could be uh, one. Uh, so let's start with uh, Joe first.
1: Um, good question. I I'm gonna go all out and give him an A, even a. I don't know if you have this in America, an A star is that such a thing? That's in the UK. That's or an A plus. I don't know if that exists. Yeah, we use A plus here, but yeah. Yeah, Um, the reason for that is he's the first Spurs manager ever to not uh, to be undefeated in his opening seven games. Um, And just I know we're going to talk about the matches um, that we've had this last week um, shortly, but I remember when we were drawn against West Ham after we'd beaten Burnley in the League Cup, you know, whenever that was under Nuno, going back a couple of months, and I was straight away thinking, oh, that we're going to lose that. That was the level of expectation at the time, and to think now we're probably thinking we've got a good chance of top four. The way that he's flipped the expectations, the feel good factors, com- like it's incomparable to how it was under Nuno. Um, so I was su- I was really happy when we appointed Conte. I thought it was a great appointment, and I think he's even exceeded expectations because players like Ben Davis, Eric Dyer, players that even, you know, Harry Winks, players like that that we'd kind of written off have suddenly, to different extents, re- reinvented themselves almost to being players that now we're thinking, you know, this these are players we, we can hold on to as useful players. Um, so for me, the transformation's been remarkable, and I, I'm going to say yes, definitely an A from me. Yeah, the squad
0: hasn't uh, changed at all. Uh, we've actually had players go down on injury, but yet we're performing much better. So that, that to me, I, I understand your point of view there. Uh, so let's go to uh, Lucas next.
2: Yeah, I, for me, it's an A as well. Um, I think one of the big things that like, I've been thinking with since he's gotten here, Joe mentioned the expectations has risen and the expectation level. and. You can see it with the players too. The players seem to be giving much more effort and they seem to have bought in on his system as well. But I I think there's, there's an extra bit of credit that I give him through what we've had to deal with. I know some of these games haven't been all against world beaters. Liverpool is probably the only one in that list of seven that was expected to be a real tough game in the premier league, but um, he's been forced to rotate with COVID nonsense and with this crazy schedule that we've had. And I think he's also been forced to rotate by when he came in. But timing wise, he didn't get the summer. He didn't, we didn't bring him in, in August. We brought him in like right in like the, what was it the bang middle of like early November or whatever that was. It's like so with him, he has to play a lot of these guys. He's forced to play a lot of these guys because he needs to see what he has. And when it comes transfer window time, who does he think is part of his future who does he not so he's forced to do all of that and even despite that we're still getting results Guys are still exceeding we got guys like delhi that we wrote, we've written off and I think we'll talk about the Southampton gate but he's given us a performance against Liverpool I thought he was great so we've we've seen all of these guys kind of be up for it that we had all written off and we can If that means we can get more money for him or whatever, it's like he's turned uh, some of these players into assets. He's turned some of these players into potential guys that can buy into his project and be part of our team moving forward. Like he's, for me, it's not even about the seven results because this year is a free hit. As soon as he we sacked Nuno, this is a free hit, and this is about just setting up Conti for his future. But every, every, if we finish top four, we finish top four. If we win a trophy, we win a trophy. But uh, yeah, I don't care much about the like the seven results isn't important for me. It's just to see that everyone's bought in and to have going to White Hart Lane be fun again is something that's important to me.
3: So it's like I give them an A. Yep. Uh, Jeff? Yeah, same thing. I'll, I'll give them an A as well. I mean, the difference between, you know, the before and after is like night and day or at least like early dawn. Um you know, the the team plays so much better. They seem so much more organized. They know where they're supposed to be. The passing has started to improve, but then we can talk about Southampton later, too. But um, you could, I mean, you could see such a difference in the squad. And like you guys were both saying, you know, these guys who we've been convinced had been bums for two years um, have looked so much better. I was never quite sure about the manager theory of football, you know, how much difference the manager really makes but you can really see it with Conte, right? How much of a difference it's made. Um, I mean, I have to eat crow because a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how bad I thought Lucas Mora was and how we really had to upgrade that part of the squad, uh, Lucas' namesake. And, you know, it, he's amazing now. Um, he's been consistent. He's been one of our best players, you know, and Conte brought that out of him uh, where, you know, the, the prior two managers didn't. So, um, yeah, he's been great. He's been a huge change for the squad.
0: Well, and I'm just going to go ahead and agree with you guys. I'm going to say a. For me, I probably would have said a minus because of the, the the multiple draws. But I think he gets extra points for being so improved, like c- compared to where we were at. The improvements that he made on the squad and getting with even with players injured, getting more out of the squad uh, than any of our previous coaches have gotten in any stretch other than that brief period for Mourinho. um, uh, Right uh, when, right before we hit the, um, uh, the Liverpool match last season. Um, But uh, I, just because of improvements alone, I think you get that extra bonus points to bring you up to the a from a minus for me. So um, um, great conversation there. I mean, just, it's so great to have a legitimate world class coach once again, and not one that's just negative and defensive like Jose was. It, this is this is somebody that plays some exciting football, and and we have some three three exciting matches to talk about here. So I'm going to roll that this conversation into those three matches. We are going to cover the first two this half, and then uh, we'll, Southampton will save for the second half prior to previewing Watford. So lots to talk about today. We'll try and uh, uh, be concise, but let's t- jump into this League Cup match against West Ham. So, so we go into West Ham. We need a little bit of a revenge. Um, obviously, they uh, beat us pretty bad earlier this season. Um, that was under Nuno. Um, we're coming in. We get them in the, as the, our draw in this uh, League Cup. Um, this is it w- was a. A winnable game but was not set to be easy with the fixture congestion coming up after and also coming off of the covid we really were unsure who was available and who 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 was rotation and who was just not available because of fitness from potentially having covid earlier uh so it was kind of this weird uh, squad um and then we get to to, to see uh, a couple of uh, heroes that are unexpected such as uh, Steve Bergvine um, and then Lucas who's not so un- uh, unexpected as we've talked about but but what do you guys think on this uh, this uh, West Ham match uh, let's uh, start with uh, Lucas first
2: yeah I was gonna say it's uh, it's not too unexpected if last uh, last podcast you predicted Lucas and Bergvine as your goal scorers. <clears throat> but uh no i i was really happy with um I was really happy with Bergvine, not because he scored and had the assist but because he turned it around after those first 15 minutes i thought that that was a big moment for him getting put out there on the mm-hmm. team sheet and those first the first 15 minutes he was shit he was he lost the ball in attacking positions like four times five if you include the time he turned with the ball and ran into the ref and lost it <laughs> so i mean he he was it was He looked like shit, but it was to be expected to an extent because you're thinking you haven't been out there in a while. Get your feet back under you and gain your confidence. And he did. And I was really happy to see that. Um, Thought that like that. uh, The first goal, like his ability to hold the ball up like he was doing stuff that I've never seen before. So I was really excited to see that we looked up for it and. Joe had mentioned when the game got initially like scheduled, when we drew West Ham, we all thought, oh, crap, here we go. As soon as like I mean, rolling into this game at home, like I think every one of us was buzzing with confidence and mm. thought we were going to have a go at it. And I think the other big thing for me was not them not having Antonio. That was the most excited I was. When mm. the team sheets came out and I didn't see him even on the bench for West Ham, I mm. was through the moon because I was like, how are you going to get your goals?
1: Yeah, uh, Joe? Yeah, Luke has mentioned there about Bergwijn, and I actually, I remember thinking to myself, and I might have even put it in our group chat, that I think there was a lot of pressure on Bergwijn because these other players had been doing so well when they'd been given a chance by Conte. So, Delhi had done well, Winks, you know... <laughs> And it was almost like Lucas was saying this was Bergwijn's kind of make or break match in a lot of ways. You know, we, he's he's obviously done well now and again for us, but he's like if you look at his return of goals and assists, it's pretty it's pretty dreadful. There's no way you can dress that up. He hadn't scored in over a year for us. Um, I think he's only ever scored it's going to be four or five at the most goals for the for the club and. You can see there's a lot of talent there, but it, it it was one of those where you're starting to question, look, he's just not going to work out? Is he going to go? There's talk that Ajax are interested in him in January. And to echo what Lucas said, really, he put in a really strong performance. Um, I thought he was our best player. Uh, spoiler alert for MVP. I, I thought he was our best player and was obviously involved in, in both goals heavily. Um, so I was really happy for him. I think another player I'd really call out in this game would be uh, Hugo. I thought he was superb because the game took a kind of really funny pattern almost because we we were the better team. We scored and then the West Ham battered us for about, I don't know, perhaps 10 minutes until they scored. And then we came back into it and then we scored and then... It was a really strange kind of a pattern to the game, but for that ten minutes or so between the goals, they were all over us. And Hugo made at least one incredible save from Suchek. and maybe it was a few more saves throughout the game. So those two uh, get a shout out from me for being great in this game.
0: Well, just to interrupt real fast, not to not to break your thought, but just to give a sense of how how this scoring was. Uh, like it that, was three minutes. Steve.
1: Oh,
0: within three Bird minutes. It seemed, it seemed like ten minutes. Yeah, Steve Furby scored yeah, the twenty-ninth minute. Jared Bowen scored the thirty-second minute. So, like three minutes, and then Lucas Mora came back in the thirty-fourth <laughs> minute with the the second goal. So, like all the goal scoring was in like a five-minute period.
2: Right. Joe, Joe, you're absolutely right. Though in those three minutes, it seemed like we switched off, and they had about four yeah. dynamite opportunities. And Hugo did his best to absolutely just deny them all of those chances until, again, Dyer, that was a bit that I wanted to touch on was just, Dyer had been one of our best players for the last almost a year. He's been so above and beyond for us and always just seems to have that moment and to give it away so sloppily and then absolutely fall asleep once he's given it away and get beat on that goal was just, that was heartbreaking. But as quick as we gave it away, we bounced back. So I was really proud to see that too.
0: Yeah, well, and, and Jeff, we had to uh, hold on here. So like uh, like we got that our second goal, like uh, just a couple minutes after their first goal in the first half. And then we ha- we had a good like 60 minutes that we were holding had to hold on to this uh, result. Um, so this was not uh, an easy thing to watch to see out, was it?
3: No, but, you know. Speaking about the Conte grades and stuff before, normally a second half like this would have been an absolute nightmare. We would just have been waiting for them to blow it. You know, this is the kind of points that we dropped all the time last year. Um, yeah, this was a cup game, but still the same principle. But this time it didn't feel like we were going to. You know, um, There was just something different about it that we would see it out. even though Eric Dyer thanks a lot for helping West Ham score with the horrible pass. But even with that, you didn't think that any of our defenders were going to really screw up and blow it this time. Um, the other thing I wanted to say real quick was Jared Bowen. Remember back when supposedly we were down to two English kids and trying to decide which of the two to sign, Jared Bowen or Jack Clark? We might have wanted a, a do-over on that one, though. Um, yeah, we
0: do, like want a lot of do overs. I think that was the same year that we were looking at Jack Grealish, uh, and and we refused to pay like twenty five million asking price for, for, for Jack Grealish. Uh, uh, Lucas,
3: <laughs> no, it was
2: actually something Jeff just said reminded me of it. But um, it was something I was really excited about as well. Was that it seemed like Conte had a he had his finger on the pulse as to what West Ham were going to do and how they were going to try to beat you. They were going to kick the shit out of you in the midfield. They were going to absolutely maul you, try and knock you to the ground every time you get the ball. But they're going to try and score on set pieces. That's what they do. And I think they had like eight or nine corners, and they were all really dangerous corners. And I thought we did a great job clearing every single one of them. Whereas like the time we played them in the Premier League a few months ago, Kane was the one who usually don't see it from him, but he fell asleep and forgot to look at Antonio, smashed it in. So it's like, we, we seem to be really in tune with what their game plan was. So they had a couple of shots that were from, they had a couple of like lob in headers that were, that Hugo took care of for us. But like, other than that, there wasn't, stats will tell you that West Ham was in charge of that game, but if you watched it you would say, well, I thought we were in charge of that game for other than those three minutes after we scored. And like the last 10 was a bit nervy, but we put on proper defenders and we handled it well. And, they had a couple of weird elections, and Hugo had to tip over the bar. But, um, yeah, I thought we were in control, and I was really glad that we knew what their game plan was going to be, and we absolutely squashed it.
0: Uh, Jeff?
3: Yeah, um the other thing was Kante like, knew exactly when to make subs. Like, um, yeah, West Ham was all over us. Kante made the subs, and all of a sudden, everything evened out again. Um, and that's so nice because at the pub, we are all constantly complaining, right? You know, make a sub, make a sub, yeah. make a sub. And finally, we have a manager who not only makes subs, but he makes them at the right points in the game, um, which is, you yeah, know, a huge improvement over the
0: past couple of years.
2: That's why you can't uh, I, make subs from the pub. That's a good thing to live by. <laughs> 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 so they don't pay us.
0: And that might be a good episode title. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> uh, um but um, so I, w- I want to uh, kind of move the, the conversation along here. Uh, so I think maybe this is a good point to go to MVP, LVP for this West Ham match.
1: Uh, and we'll start uh, with Joe first for MVP. Yep, sure thing. I already kind of touched on it. But for me, Bergwijn and Hugo comes a very close second. But I'm going to give it Bergwijn. Yep,
0: Bergwijn's a good pick. Uh, let's go to uh, Jeff next. Yeah, I agree. It was very good. Lucas, uh, do you have anybody different?
2: Mine was actually Hugo. Yeah, I thought Hugo did a great job. Uh, I, that was the biggest thing that I was excited about was Conte put his name on the team sheet instead of Gallini. I know Galini was the hero that mm. helped with, uh, like, by Burnley and had the penalty shootout, the one before. So it's like, I was really excited to see him actually go with, Hugo
0: here, and it paid dividends because Hugo was fantastic. Uh, yeah, um, I think I'm gonna agree with you guys, Bergvine. I want to give a couple honorable mentions. I mean, Lucas, I think had a good game. You guys are completely right about Hugo. I mean, he definitely deserves some credit. It was nice to see some um, some reasonable performances from, say, De- uh, like Deli Ali. I think this was a good one for him. Like I'm, uh, um. I'm thinking that we're trying to increase his value probably for the window and uh, he's a potential outgoing. And, uh, let me just jump in now, Shubes, uh, we got your question on, uh, players leaving this year. And I do think that, uh, we're looking at more or this window, this, uh, winter window, I think we might see more outgoing players than incoming. Um, but, um, I think most of those uh the incoming will be impact if we do br- if we are able to bring somebody in and the outgoing will be more people more fringe players that aren't really making that much time anyway that that kind of need to move on anyway but I do think you're right it's going to be more people moving on. Uh, so we won't tackle that question today. We'll probably save that for a later episode in the transfer window cuz we got a lot to talk about today. Uh, but let's go to LVP next and let's uh uh, let's go the reverse way around the horn this time, and we'll start with Lucas.
2: All right. So mine, as uh, someone that I usually do throw under the bus, was Doherty. Um, <laughs> I knew we had to rotate because of how crazy this window's been for us. But, um, I mean, if you look at, like, Bergvine's second goal, the one where he just took on your man from the, in the box and just beasted past him, and or not second goal, but his assist to Lucas – only reason that that goal happened was because Doherty was standing at the corner with his dick in his hands, looking at him. And I'm like, you're the wingback. You are supposed to be moving. Like he offered no help. He did nothing throughout the game. Didn't do anything defensively that bothered me, which is a big plus because I think that is one of the reasons we were able to see the game out. But um, yeah, just you would think with the wingback system, he would be a little bit more comfortable going forward because it isn't as much on you to get back and defend and he just doesn't seem to get that through his head and doesn't want to go forward. So,
3: yeah, I had a big problem watching Doherty.
0: Okay, uh, Jeff?
3: Um, mine's going to be Eric Dyer. I think we're all used to Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Dyer. But Mr. Dyer hasn't shown up in a little while, but he did make mm-hmm. a reappearance in this game uh, with that really crappy pass that led to the West Ham goal. Um so, I mean, that's going to be a big thing for the second half of the season is to see how much he can minimize those kind of mistakes. And he almost did it in a game we'll talk about a little later.
0: Okay, good shout there. Uh, Joe?
1: So, mine, mine's a little bit left left field. Um, my LVP for this game is... Um, does that, oh, I can't think of his name. Um the Argentinian who's always injured. I can, literally can't think of his name. Help, okay, Lo Celso. No. Thank you, Laselso. I got out of my head. Laselso is LVP. He didn't play, you're probably thinking, what the hell is he talking about? He got injured in the warm down. He got injured in the warm down, which is like the equivalent of walking your dog. Like, a walk down, you don't even sprint on a warm down. And, you know, we'll come on to this in the. The games that we talk about, but a lot of the players that we kind of, and I'm Lucas, I hear you with the Doherty, I'm always saying LVP for Doherty. <clears throat> and some people seem to have an issue with winks, we'll come on to that as well, but for me Undombele and lacelso are the two glaring LVPs Overall for me, because the value that we, the amount of money we paid for those players and the return that we're getting from them is non-existent. They're probably the two under Conte that haven't done anything. They're, they're the only players who, even though it's done okay on occasion under Conte, you know, but those two have done nothing. And to get injured in the warm down, I've never heard that in all my life. And when I heard that, I just was like almost pulling my hair out in... This, and that's why I couldn't even remember the guy's name because I'm so mad at him. So that that's my uh, LVP. <laughs>
0: well, in uh, in like uh, he did have the one assist recently, but uh, but still, I understand your point. Like these are two guys that were were marquee signings um, uh, under Pochettino, and we haven't been able to get anything out of them under four separate coaches. Um Lucas you want to jump in there before and I and yeah, I'll just no. say that I agree with Joe. <laughs> Joe's got my pick for LVP. uh, also, uh, uh, uh I,
2: I just wanted I wanted to agree with Joe real quick cuz there was a stat I just weirdly remembered this because I was listening to it was before we played Liverpool last December and it just weirdly stuck in my head at that point he had featured in like 64 Premier League games and he had made 90 minutes in 8 of them. And I was just thinking, that stat always just stuck in my head. And since then, I was like, well, maybe we'll turn it around. I'm like, I couldn't tell you last time he played 90 minutes. It's just, for the amount we paid and the expectations we had, it's just, it's excruciating.
0: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Well, great conversation there. We're going to move the conversation along into Boxing Day. So, um We'll start off the conversation with first, I think most people experience this as well. So Christmas Day, most of us are probably spending time with either family or friends or um, or if we're not um, religious, uh, at least enjoying the, 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 the a quiet day off. Um, and we, we get these, uh, these rumors coming out from Football London saying that this mass, match is definitely going to be postponed. Without question, it's going to be postponed. Uh, Crystal Palace doesn't have enough uh, players to field, but then you're seeing the injury list and it seems minute. Um, So it seems weird considering like we know that Chelsea had to play without like nine men or something like that, (laughs) like just uh, like a week or so before. Um, But it's also Christmas Day and nobody in the uh, Premier League is working. So nobody can speak up and say like, no, this match is going to be played. So there's nobody to make a decision until the next morning. Meanwhile, fans are have traveled and are are getting ready to hop a train to go down to the the match. And everything was a mess. I know our boxing day, like at the Atlantic, uh, um, we were expecting big crowds and uh, ended up being very <laughs> small crowds. Uh, when this match actually did happen and the league finally said, no, this match is going to be played and both. Teams posted that yeah we're gonna have this match, um, which felt a little too little too late. They were kind of uh, kind of like put a turd in everybody's Boxing Day, but we did finally have this match and we're able to watch this match. Um, I'll let you guys kind of roll into your feelings coming into Boxing Day, and then we'll we'll talk about the actual match uh, as well, uh, Lucas.
2: Yeah, there's. In this situation, there's two people that I'm really pissed off at. One is Palace. Um, Palace, to me, it felt like Palace was just requesting this game off because they just didn't fancy it. And it's like, okay, well, I mean, we were trying to find any solution possible to play in some of these games, and with the schedule being as hectic as it is, I mean, what was their own... Was it Benteke being not starting? That was the only thing they didn't have? Yeah. I mean... Come on, that that was absolute nonsense for me. It just felt like they were trying to have a go at it, being like, "Well, maybe we can get this postponed to learn better form or something." Um, so that was one. But the other one is on the Premier League, and that pisses me off a lot more because these things need to be announced. <clears throat> excuse me. These need to be announced. There should be a twelve-hour or 16, sixteen. There needs to be some deadline that says this is when it is either being played or it's not. And we're making that decision by midnight the night before or something. Because, like mm. you said, you mentioned, for me, it was no bother. I live close to the pub. I woke up at 8.30 and was like, okay, game's on. <laughs> Walk over. But for most Spurs supporters, like, not everyone lives within an easy reach of White Hart Lane. I know a lot of people that have to make a bit of a tough trek. And yeah. um, it might be a two-hour train ride. Or it might be you have to have a different commute system or something. But, like... For you to make that decision like two hours before the game, it's it's insane to me. I, I don't yeah. understand how either either do it the night before or something. But there's a reason we had what was that? I think forty thousand people were at the lane that day instead of mm. sixty two. It's like
1: yeah,
2: that's uh It just that was the one that even bothered me more than Palace trying their nonsense because that got slapped away. But. It was the Premier League not being able to say, hey, this is when the deadline is. That was the one that irked me. Jeffrey, I think you wanted
0: to jump in.
3: I was just going to say, the rumor that I heard was that Palace didn't officially lodge their request until really early Sunday morning, like after a midnight deadline. I don't know if that's 100% true, but that's what I had heard. So even though we had heard all this stuff the night before that, oh, yeah, it was going to be postponed, Supposedly, Palace waited until basically the last minute to put their request in, and which yeah. is pretty bad face on their part as well. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, for the same reasons Lucas that you were talking about. Yeah, there has to be some kind of a cutoff, even though this was a London derby, and I guess that was the rationale. It was easier to for for people in London supposedly to get around. Still, you would think that, that yeah, there'd be some kind of a hard limit where you know, Palace couldn't have even
0: requested it. Well, not all supporters are from London. Like, there's people that follow Spurs and potentially maybe at Crystal Palace that, that live all o- over England. Some people that have flown in from across the, around the world to watch the match. So, uh, th- th- that's really no excuse just because it's a London... Even if, you live
2: in, even if you live in the suburbs of London, it can take you two hours to get to White Hart Lane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, Try getting from like Milton Keynes if you live there. Like try getting from there to London, it's or to White Hart Lane, it's a nightmare sometimes. So it's like they have to have some better system, and I'm shocked yeah. that we haven't had a better protocol set since COVID was like brought into the play here. It's like sounds it me.
0: Yeah, it really seems to me like Crystal Palace and maybe Football London, who was trying to get like uh like they they thought they had the the scoop before anybody else and they wanted to be the ones to get get Mm -hmm. all the credit for it but it really seemed like they were just taking advantage of the fact that it was christmas day and nobody was going to be able to respond uh uh that day uh to the situation um joe we'll let you take have final thoughts on this and then you can roll into your feelings on this crystal palace match because we we actually had a pretty good result that day
1: yeah, I mean, I completely agree with everything that you guys just said. It, I can't really add to it other than to say, I think you're right. They were just trying to chance it. They didn't want to play two games in three days, which, you know, I understand. But you can't, this, it's a bit disingenuous to pretend you've got a COVID outbreak when there's, like Lucas said, one player missing. I know that Vieira, the co- the manager had it, but <laughs> you know what, you can't just call a game off because your manager's not well. I mean, come on, it's ridiculous. Um, so agree with you guys 100% on, on all of that. Um, as for the game, it was a strange one because I actually thought we were pretty poor for the opening 10 minutes. I don't think we barely, we didn't do anything for the first 10 minutes. It was all Crystal Palace. But you almost feel with Conte, there's always, a, you don't worry about that. You know, under under previous managers, we've had these spells and you're really thinking, you know, oh, what what's going on? But you know that there's, you have faith that it's gonna come good and all it took was that one move when Lucas, who was fantastic in this game, got a pass, quick injection of pace, played the one-two, I think it was with Kane, broke away and um and made the he made the goal for Kane. I can't remember who he played the one two with, but it was a really great bit of play by Lucas. And after that, we were we were totally in control. We obviously got the second goal quickly after and again that was from Lucas picking it up deep, quick play. Sprinting through, starting another attack, and then getting on the end of it with a header. So, um, yeah, it, it was a it was a ropey start, but then we just we we just blew them away after that, and a, and a great win.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, I agree with that. Uh, let's go to Lucas next.
2: I think Joe again with, with the timing. You're a little bit generous there with the ten minutes. I thought it was a cagey like first 15 or 20-so minutes, which, and I completely agree with Conti, you, you feel like it's different, and you feel like we're a little bit more tuned in. But we do have this habit of just being asleep at the whistle. That opening whistle goes, we just seem to not be ready. Again, the Norwich game, for example, I never felt that Norwich was going to beat us or anything like that. <clears throat> but Norwich had a sitter within 90 seconds. And we could have been down 1 0 within two minutes. So it's like we do tend to start very slow. And we did against West Ham. We did, we'll get to Southampton. But I mean, we did in this game as well. And we were lucky that we were able to kind of settle into the game and not have, didn't seem like their attack was really promising at all, which gave us time to grow in. Lucas had an amazing ball that he played through to Kane in like 15th or so that Kane was able to get a left footed shot on and. Uh, but we were really lucky that they didn't hit us in those first 20 or so minutes. But once we grew into the game, it seemed like there was only one outcome, and we were far in control even before Zaha acted like biggest buffoon I've ever seen. But um, yeah, it was it was definitely a which I mean there's a couple of things that I was just super proud of, but one was the fact that we did settle into that game and I'll get another chance to talk. But, um, the other one was Lucas Mora. I mean, his, he seemed like the only one in those dodgy 20 minutes that was raring to go. So as long as we have a guy like that, that can kind of carry us through, I'm happy.
0: Well, and it- and interestingly enough, this is another match where both like the first two goals were scored hurricane in the 32nd minute Lucas Moore in the 34th minute. So within, within that 30th to 40th minute and a couple minutes apart from one another. Um, and that, and then of course we had the, uh, Zaha stupid red card. I'm going to let Jeffrey tackle that red card first. Cause he had already had a previous yellow card. Um, whether you, think that was a legitimate yellow and I do, um or, or not. Uh but what was he thinking?
3: <laughs> yeah, that was a really Spursy thing, right? That's what we see our guys do all the time. I mean, um how many Spurs players in recent years have we seen pick up the second yellow or come close to it? Uh we almost Jeff, did with hey, one of hey, our Jeff. guys against Southampton, right?
2: Jeff, I was gonna say Go Jeff that's what that's pretty much what we did against Palace. That's what Tanganga always right. did against Palace when we played him away a few months ago.
3: Yeah, exactly. So it was, it was like, amazing to see somebody on another squad do it. Um, so, yeah, thanks a lot, Wilfred. Uh, uh, Merry Christmas. Um, but So, yeah, it was the thing, though, that bothered me after that, though, was we were up 2-0, and now we were against a 10-man team, right, for the second time in two weeks because we were against Liverpool as well. And still, it took us forever to kill the game off with a third goal, right? Sun got it fairly late in the second half. And that's a concerning trend, right? We couldn't get it done against 10-man Liverpool. And you can understand that because Liverpool is one of the best teams in the league. Um, Palace, we finally did late. And we'll be coming up in the second half to another one where, again, we had a 10-man team. Um, and, you know, that shortcoming rose up again.
0: Well, yeah, this uh, and it was 74th minute that Sun finally put the game to bed, uh, the the match to bed. But. um, But, yeah, it was it is a little bit concerning, like our ability to score playing up a man or when the opponent has to play defensive, I think, is more what it comes down to, it's. It comes down to the lack of creativity that we've seen ever since Erickson left, I think, is uh, we've lacked that. And even when we had Erickson and he was starting to slide a little bit, like, uh, I think we lacked great creativity for a while there. And this is obviously a problem I, th- I, I, I hope the Conte plans to tackle. Um, but um, what do you think, Joe?
1: Oh, uh, you're, you're on mute. Sorry, my mute was playing up then. Um, yeah, totally. With, with what Jeff's saying, this is a recurring theme, isn't it? The Playing against 10 men. I mean, it was hilarious, really, what Zaha did. It was so stupid. And I think Tanganga must have been laughing his head off, bearing in mind the what happened in the reverse fixture. Um, but, I mean, the only thing I'd slightly disagree with, what Jeff said a minute ago, is I, I think... The game was already killed off to be... I understand what you're saying. You definitely would have expected us to get three, four, maybe even five goals. We've been against 10 men for such a long time. But I kind of think Conte, he's not... He's such a... You know, he's so strategic in thinking two steps ahead. He's like, look, if we only win this game 2-0, but we may have fresher legs for the next game, I'll take that over going at them, you know, and trying to score five and then tiring ourselves out. And I kind of think that was the... Explanation for why we didn't really, you know, push push on and get a few more goals in this game. I think it was really comfortable as soon as we were against ten men, and it was just a bit of a procession after that point. To be honest,
0: is there a point that you have to start thinking about goal differential, uh, considering how poor our goal differential is? Let's start with Lucas there.
2: Um, no, because I'm actually going to agree with both Jeff and Joe on this one, where. There is a reoccurring theme about how we play against 10 men. And I do think that Zaha had he clearly had like New Year's Eve plans and didn't want to be on on New Year's Day. So just took care of that himself. But um, the game was pretty much in hand. And if there was anything I was excited about, Joe had mentioned like how the game was pretty much in hand. the biggest thing was I loved Conte taking Kane off at 60, saying, fuck it, game's over, win it. We saw Pochettino bring Kane on in the 80th minute up 7-0 at Tranmere for the Tranmere fans to see their English captain. I don't give a fuck about that. I don't give a fuck about the Tranmere fans. Like, for him to be like, hey, Kane. And, again, this is another thing that Conti had to deal with, was it wasn't like, oh, we had a quick turnaround, we had to play on Wednesday. No, we had one day off, then we have to go back on the road again on Wednesday, We had or Tuesday. So it was one of the shortest days off, both road games. So, or the second being a road game. So I, I think that I was very happy to see us just kind of take the foot off the gas. And Yes, at some point, goal differential matters. But if you just take care of the points, that'll sort itself out. So I was, I was more excited to see us have a, just a manager in charge that said, I can recognize, like Joe mentioned, two steps ahead. We need Kane. We don't have another striker, so we'll need him on Tuesday. And then we'll need him on the following Saturday. And then the next Wednesday, so yeah, I, I was excited just to see us kind of have a kick about with our own half and say "fuck it,
3: two nils gone." We ended up getting three. So, quick point, Jeff. Just quickly, yeah. The other thing about the Bergwijn for Kane was a week ago, Conte was saying, you know, oh yeah, I, I can really see Bergwijn, you know, being the the backup striker or rotating for Harry, and we we're all like, what? And then he did it. <laughs> He put a he put his money where his mouth was and threw him out there for the last half hour, which was pretty wild. So now, if Bergwijn can just stay healthy, uh, you yeah, maybe he'll be if he stays past January, maybe he'll be a bigger hope.
0: Uh, there seems to be a player there, and I don't think uh, Conte favors him that much, but um, but at least we're maybe um, uh, marketing him for his Ajax move in uh, like either the, the this window or the
1: summer. Uh, uh, Joe? Yeah, just just real quick, just to totally agree with what Jeff just said. I think that's the thing I've been really impressed with Conte, you know, when we did the grades earlier, is if you compare it with Mourinho, Mourinho made all the right noises at first, like in the first week or two in his press conferences, about, oh, I'm happy with the squad. But then he'd always kind of complain about it after that and say, oh, I don't have any options in these positions, which, you know what, was true. Like We've never had an alternative to Kane really. is the only ever proper backup strike we've ever had in <laughs> in, in several years if you don't count Jansen, who was a bit of a flop. Um, but to what Jeff just said, I think that's what's great about Conte is he's not complaining. He's hap- He seems content with the squad in the sense that if you look at what he did at Chelsea, he played um oh his name's escaping me now. But the the guy who played right wing back for he was like a total reject at Liverpool. He'd been at a load of clubs. I think he was at Stoke on loan. His name will come to me shortly, but he was part of that title-winning team for um Chelsea. So he didn't like go out and do what Guardiola did of buying a 60 million pound player in every position. He he like made do with quite limited players and made them better players. And if he can do that with, you know, we already talked about Winks, um, some of the other players. I think Bergwijn is a... Davis is probably the best example, to be fair. Davis has been a completely reinvented player under Conte. Um, And maybe like Bergwijn's fits that mould of being a player that is adaptable he can perhaps do a job as a striker or maybe even as like a, who knows even as an attacking wing back. he could so i i really like that about conte is he's not complaining he's not saying oh i need to buy like you know five new players for 60 million he's he's looking at the players and trying to work with what he has and i, I think that's really encouraging and and you know that's something that we should applaud really
0: yeah definitely um final thoughts before we go to mvp lvp uh lucas
2: no, I was kind of just going to piggyback off Joe there with one of the things that I'm most excited about with Conte is his his grasp of he's clearly got more sense of the game than most managers in the world. But some of it is just very simple. The Ben Davis example that I just brought up, Ben Davis's best position is clearly left like left center back in a back three. What he plays for Wales, that's what he's most comfortable, and he'll tell you. That's my position. And it's taken us four managers now to say, oh, yeah, well, let's play him there. <laughs> like Conte wouldn't do, or uh, Jose wouldn't do it. Potch wouldn't do it. Nudo didn't do it. Mason, if you want to count that, didn't. So it, it's, I mean, you say, okay, well, he can be an asset there. Let's find out. And That's a bit of this where I think Conte's just excited to see, what do I have? What can I make part of my team who has a place going forward? And someone like Ben has risen to the challenge and said, "Well, I I can be good at my best position." So, I mean, it's, it is- it's great to see. And I was oh. and to tie it well to tie it back in with uh, Crystal Palace was it was great to see him actually give some guys uh, some guys a break. He actually gave Ben a break and said, "Okay, well, we're going to go on and play Tanganga today, and we'll see how that works." And it was fine. So I'm um, I'm excited to see him kind of. Making the most out of what he's got to work with.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about. I think last week we talked about how he he likes to he likes players to do a specific job and like he and all those cogs going together in one system works very well if everybody does their job and and a guy like Ben Davis, a guy who potentially like Tangaga, like a, uh, on the opposite uh, back of the back three could be those types of guys that that can like they've got the skill set that they can get forward a little bit but they're more comfortable doing that defensive role um and sometimes that's best in a back three and and i think we're starting to see see that form and wow like i'm i'm starting to enjoy it uh let's go to mvp on
1: this match and we'll start with uh joe first MVP for the Palace game, I'm going to say it's a pretty easy choice, and that's Lucas. He got a goal, he got two assists, and he was superb all game. Um, yeah, great game from Lucas.
0: It's tough to argue anybody else, but let's... Uh, Jeff, do you have anybody else or any other honourable mentions if you have uh, Lucas?
3: I do want to... I'll go with Lucas but honourable mention. Um, I just heard this stat today from Ellie Gold from um, yeah, Football London, but when Oliver Skip features in yes. the Spurs team, yeah, we are twelve three and four, so sixty three percent winning percentage. And when he's not in the in the lineup, two two and four, so twenty five percent winning percentage. So you could make an argument that Oliver Skip should be MVP of every game he starts. But um, it's just amazing how much better he is than our other midfielders because he's quick going forward. He's quick going back. He switches up from defense to offense, especially compared to, to Hoy there, who's incredibly slow. He was a good Jose player because Jose wanted to sit back and wait. But um, You know, we kind of, well, leading into the Southampton thing, you kind of see, you know, the drawbacks to him compared to Skip. But for this particular match, yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you that it, it was Lucas.
1: Um, real quick, guys, sorry to jump in here, but I just totally backing up what Jeff said, I even I took a screenshot of this stat. So, um, without Oliver Skip, the only games he hasn't started this season were when we lost 3-0 to Chelsea, when we lost 3-1 to Arsenal, and then there was a couple where we actually did okay, we beat Leeds, we drew with Liverpool, and then... Which the game we'll talk about the Southampton game. So just to totally support what Jeff just said, like it's incredible. We only got a five points out of the possible fifteen without skip, no clean sheets in those games. Like he, the stats back it up hundred percent. What a what a good player he is for us. Uh definitely. uh, uh Lucas, uh,
0: your MVP.
2: Well, I was going to say, and also Norwich, Norwich seems to be pretty bummed to not have him. So <laughs> we see how they're doing. Uh, my MVP was Lucas. Um, It's just, it's incredible to watch him play with his confidence and being subbed in. Sometimes you start, sometimes you don't, but you still have that attitude to come out. And that goal he scored was, he's 5'8", your man, the center back was 6'4", and that was just a matter, he was in the right position and everything. It was just a matter of Lucas, I, I want it more than you. That's what it was. And watch him do that, was that was one of the coolest goals. Um, I've seen it in a while and you get two assists off the back of that he looked fantastic and he looked up for it so long may that continue because if we have a guy like that playing at that level without the dodgy like missed passes and stuff like that that Lucas usually does to piss us off if we can keep this Lucas forming at this level uh, the guys the limit.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, how about LVP? Uh, let's circle back around uh, to Joe.
1: I'm struggling to think of one. Honestly, I can't say uh, Laselso again. So, <laughs> no, um, I, I don't think anyone played played badly in this game. I'm I'm really I, it'd be unkind to to give one. It, so I'm I'm going to abstain and say uh, no one. Sorry, that's a boring answer, but.
2: I agree. I'm going to just chime in and say that's mine. I couldn't think of one either. Um, game wrapped up by halftime. I
3: had no LVP.
0: Yeah. Uh, Jeff, you got anybody?
3: I don't have a person as LVP, so I was just going to throw out just general finishing, um, which seems like every game, right? I God, I wish we could have somebody who was who just more critical, you know, to put some of these away. It gets really frustrating to watch the ball go in every direction but the net in a lot of these. But, no, everybody has played like good.
0: Yeah, and it was a well-coached game, and and I agree with you guys. Uh, despite the fact that I really wanted to see like six goals here, because um, like a man up, Crystal Palace wasn't looking very good. We were playing well, like it, it really felt like we could have like just steamrolled these guys and 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 gotten like a uh, six goals, and re- it really felt good about it. You guys are right; like we need to be fit and uh, for for two ma- days from then. And then it's just going to be fixture congestion nonstop all through january and february because we're going to be making up these matches and we don't even know when we're going to be making them up yet um mm. but we have to worry about the when we're going to be making those up because those game in hands are going to be very important for our ability to get into the top four uh so i definitely understand why like yeah just cool it we got the win we got we got the points let's let's worry about uh southampton on tuesday and and just let it go. Um, I, I did not have, uh, I, I, I agree with you. It was Lucas for MVP. I didn't chime in, but, um, and I did not have an LVP for this one either. Um, excellent conversation there. Uh, we do have a lot left to talk about in the second half. We are going to talk about the Southampton, uh, way match on Tuesday. Um, and we will preview the upcoming, um, New Year's Day Watford away match uh, so away fixtures uh, 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 coming up but first uh, we are going to go to halftime and go to Luke's locks Thank
2: you Anthony <clears throat> All right, First up we are going to take Leicester at home minus one against Norwich Norwich hasn't scored a goal since Newcastle at the end of November Shocking and they've been getting pumped by every team they play. So I think Leicester's due for a big result. So take Leicester minus one at home versus Norwich. Next up, we are going to take our beloved Tottenham Hotspur minus one at Vickridge Road on Saturday. Watford usually play us tough there. But I think because of our result against Southampton, which we'll come on to, this game is a must win for us. And I think that Conti will have us ready to rock and that he will come out with the result. Take Spurs minus one away at Watford. Third one, we're going to take over two and a half goals in the Palace versus West Ham game. Palace at home is more than capable of grabbing a goal, but I think that West Ham will be too strong, and I think they're going to grab a couple goals for themselves. So take over two and a half goals in Palace at home versus West Ham. Last on the docket, we're going to take under two and a half goals in the Chelsea versus Liverpool game at Stamford Bridge. Both of these teams seem to love a 1-1 draw when they meet up, and I expect no different here. With both of them neck and neck trying to catch Man City, I expect both to be on the reserve side, not wanting to concede all three points. So, take under two and a half goals in the Chelsea at home versus Liverpool game. There's your four free picks of the week. Let's go get rich, kids.
0: Thanks so much, Lucas. Um, So let's roll the conversation along into this uh, Southampton match. Uh, So Tuesday, short rest. Two days after uh, after the – and my Alexa just kicked off in the background for no reason, so I don't know uh, what I had said that made her think I was talking to her, but – so that's what distracted me so I apologize for that listeners this is uh we're recording uh, uh, um, <laughs> on uh, video chat at home so that's what happens but um so Southampton away so uh, we come into this match Tuesday short rest uh, we have to rotate the squad a little bit like uh but it's still a, a very strong squad um, We're on the road. Uh, it, it looked a little bit lethargic coming into this match. Is kind of the impression I got, and 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 really they 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 got first draw of blood, and uh, they scored in the twenty fifth minute, and it took us a while to to answer that, um, and it took a penalty uh, to, to to equalize. Um, we of course um, have a lot to talk about <laughs> with uh, with some of the calls here. Um, and uh, let's start the conversation with uh, Suju's question because I think we'll start talking about it if we don't ask the question. So let's get let's let's let our listener get his uh, point of view in first. And Suju asks us on uh, Twitter: I know you're going to talk about this, but Kane was not offside at all. Um, not even really a question, but what do you guys think, uh, Joe? Yeah. I think- Oh, Jeff, go first. Yeah, oh, I guess uh, yeah. Uh,
3: I thought this was why the Premier League changed the rule for this year, so that we didn't have to put up with the armpit measurements and stuff anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of a shocking thing.
0: It was the depressing, and like it for those of you that weren't watching, it was. Like it, it maybe the maybe his hand was across the line, but it, like clearly, like his whole body, even his upper body, were, were on side. If you look at this
1: uh, breakdown, uh, Joe. Yeah, just what Jeff said. Really, it's you. You thought they'd moved away from this the, this ridiculous thing. I mean, you can't even legally score a goal with your arm. So why are you using that as a part of the anatomy to to? De- determine offside surely go off the just where your feet are i mean i don't understand why they don't just do that right because then it's totally unambiguous you know you could argue that the head might be but you're not going to like lean your head (laughs) for i mean it's 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 ludicrous to be honest um i i really very rarely blame referees or complain about referees to be honest because um you know I, i i think it rarely decides a game but i think this is one of those rare ones where the decisions were absolutely dreadful. There was the offside, which, you know, can't really add to what Jeff said. It was a joke. And then the one where um, Foster, I'm struggling with, with people's names today, Fraser Foster dropped the ball and it should have been a goal, uh, in my opinion. I think he just m- made a mistake. Um, that was I'll Doherty.
0: Cap- Doherty was like, uh, had his back to him and was, yeah. um, had very, very little, if any, contact. Yeah, uh,
1: and he, he took the ball at the highest point, he, he, and then he just uh, dropped the ball. It was an error by the goalkeeper, and they're so overprotected that whenever anyone like breathes near a goalkeeper, it's automatically a foul. And I think we got completely screwed over to be honest. But I will caveat that, and I don't mean to steal Lucas's thunder because I know where Lucas is going to go by saying that <laughs> we didn't, we did not play well against Southampton, and we. Uh, I'll go into that more. I'll, I don't want to steal your thunder too much, Lucas, but I'll caveat. We did get screwed over, yes, but also we didn't play well, so we do have ourselves to blame, as well as the referee. Uh, Lucas? Uh,
2: yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think, again, the big thing for me is that I, I think the the offside thing is ridiculous. I mean, it, it was brought in to negate the crazy offsides. The guy that's offside by three yards but somebody missed. I remember we played Stoke, I think it was, in 2011 or 2012, and we had it was like stoke away and off a corner, so they still had a guy in the crease in the goal. And we scored from like seven yards out, so the guy was seven yards. I think it was out of my yard, but it was like got called off. I feel like that's what VAR was brought in to get rid of, not was somebody's toenail offside or was somebody's fingernail offside. I mean, it's gotten so ridiculous, but for me, again. The first VAR decision that we bitch about came a 52nd or so minute. So for 50 or so minutes, we, we could have been doing our job. We started slow again. with like absolute ghosts for the first 25 minutes. And then they score a goal, which to be fair, I mean, if anyone would have told you, if you could have guessed who's going to score against, we all would have said Ward-Prowse. And for it to come off a throw in and, he splits a cracker off the volley between five people running at him. Like I mean, that's crazy. But we absolutely should have had our we should have been more on top of that game and we weren't. And if it weren't for the penalty in the red card, I mean, that game could have ended two nil, three and one, somewhere around I mean, there was nothing until that penalty red card that was telling me we're in this game and we're up to getting some points today. So I I don't want to, like, I really don't want to die. The only thing I will say about VAR is when they do these decisions, it does have, like, the way it takes so long sometimes, it has the ability to completely flip momentum. I mean, if I I don't know if you guys remember, but we played in potches, like, last month or so. We played Leicester away, and we went up 1-0, and then Surge had a goal. Surge's ended goal, ended wasn't two, it? Yeah, 2-0. Yeah. Because that was called offside by, like, Son, who played him on, was offside by, like, a fingernail or so. Yeah. It com- it, it, when VAR flips something like this, it almost works as if the other team just scored. It's, yeah. That momentum flips so drastically when they flip something like that. And to have Southampton continually get these, like, weird surges of momentum is almost what cost us more than like the missed goal itself.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there was fatigue coming into this match, which kind of can explain some of the, and I agree with you, poor performance that first half, and it took them getting a goal for us to kind of wake up a little bit and really start trying. Um, it, but it's tough to forgive the these VAR, VAR calls and what they did uh, to our to this match it 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 really uh, took away the momentum and uh and it was just frustrating you could see the frustration in the players and in southampton of course after they had the man sent off um and that was uh i'm trying to remember the minute that 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 occurred Uh, so it was
1: like it was the like, fo- it was like five
0: minutes, forty-two or 43, yeah. 39th yeah. minute, yeah. So thirty-nine minutes, so about uh, about six minutes to halftime. You know, the, we had like that whole half, and and they were just sitting back, completely defensive. And that's like I was saying in the first half, we have this issue that comes seems to come up with lack of creativity when the team is uh, playing de- defensive, and this is they're playing defensive in their own home, uh, so the fans are behind them. So you you have the crowd with you, and we we've traveled after uh, you know playing a match two days earlier. I can see how this kind of happened, and I don't feel like this is the end of the world. A draw here, but uh, mm. but it's frustrating that we couldn't come away with the win, being up a man for that long. Uh, Lucas, you want to jump in? It sounds like.
2: Well, there's a couple things that I was like. Again, I'm I'm gonna step aside from the VAR and the wrong decisions because. Again, at the end of the day, I believe that we got a point because we deserved the point. Um, but there's a couple things that bothered me. Was One, Walker Peters got a yeah. yellow in the 13th minute.
3: Yeah. I, saw Regular. Nothing
2: that, I saw nothing that said, let's go after him. Mm. He had When we played Liverpool, uh, Royale got a yellow in, I think it was like the early 20s or somewhere around there. And Liverpool were just like, let's bomb it at Royale. To his Hmm. credit, he did great, and he defended as best as he could for the remainder that he was in the game, but he still had to be so cautious he couldn't make the challenges that he would have made. It's like when you have a fullback get a yellow in the first 13 minutes, you have to attack that guy. Make him defend you because he can't. He's either going to get a red or he's going to, especially when they're down a man, like keep going after him. That was something that really bothered me, but um, I I just, the other thing was, and this is going to be controversial, but I think this was maybe the first time we saw Conti get it wrong, which is completely fair. Every manager gets it wrong. Mm -hmm. Bop gets it wrong all the time. Like Pep gets it wrong all the time. I think that at halftime, I'm not mad at the lineup we threw up, like had to be rotated. We were off crazy, like, little rest. But I think that at halftime, there were opportunities there to really go after it. Mm. I think this would have been our biggest two complaints about Ndombele, he can't go 90 minutes, and he's shit when we don't have the ball. But it's like, well, we only had 45 minutes, and we were going to have the ball because they had 10 men. I thought that would have been the perfect spot for Ndambalay. and I'm the biggest hater of Ndambalay. And I mean, so the first move was let's throw on Doherty. I think this was the first time hmm. we saw him actually get it wrong. Which again, I'm not. I think that was injury content.
0: based, and I think that's what Jeff wants. I'll let Jeff time in here. Right, uh, Go
3: on. Go on. No, I was just gonna say I think we we really missed. I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, we, we really missed Berglund in this game, right? Because the the passing in the box that we saw him start to do against West Ham would have been crucial here because nobody else was doing it, that's for sure. And the fact that he got injured again, like, he had this great game against West Ham, immediately gets injured. We, have, yeah. we get, are so snake fit with this kind of thing. But um, and the, the other problem, I think, going into what you were saying, um, Lucas, with the subs, is I think uh, Reguion really screwed us, right? But he was so out of control in the first mm. half you with know, the and him having to get subbed at half, because we could not trust him out there for a second, yeah. kind of tied Conte's hands a little bit. Now we only had two more um subs to play with. It's pretty telling that Ndombele wasn't one of those mm. two. Uh, uh, Lucas knows. I love Tongade, but I, I, yeah, I considering that he wasn't used at all here, I think his time's up.
0: Yeah, I mean, like uh, you're right. I didn't even think about it at the time, but what a perfect time for him! Like they're they're not even trying to attack us; they're just trying to hold on to that draw at all costs. That's perfect
1: in Dombele time, uh, Joe. Yeah, Jeff. Honestly, it's like you you read my mind. I you absolutely nailed pretty much like most of the stuff I was. That that's exactly what I was thinking. And Lucas can back me up. The first thing I said when this game finished, I messaged a chat group and I said, Dombele is is done because." You could not have possibly created a situation more suited to his skill set than this game. Um, you absolutely hit the nail. I didn't think about that with Regulon. You're, you're completely right. He was on a yellow card. Cessignon's injured, and again, this goes back to what we're talking about with Conte, how he is giving people chances. Um, Victor Moses was a player's name I couldn't remember, but so he played Do- Doherty at <laughs> like left. <laughs> it's been bugging me for 20, 20 minutes. Yeah, he, um, son, he
2: played... son, son. was the one that cut him down for the, like the penalty when we played him in the semi-final a few years that's back. That's
1: right. You got it. Yeah, that's right. And son um, was at right back. <laughs> yeah, I um,
2: started son at right back.
1: But well, putting like Doherty there in, in a way, you know, you've, it, it's a good show of faith. Like it's like right. I'll give you. I'll give everyone a chance, even if they've been terrible all the time. You know, I'll give Doherty a chance at, in that position because, to your point, Jeff. Um, Regalon had been booked, and he he, he may have got a red card. But the point about Ndombélé is spot on. Um, I'll mention Winks because I have a feeling his name's going to come up. I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Winks in this in the context of this game. Winks isn't my favourite player, but he's nowhere near as bad as a lot of people make out. He really isn't. I know people were saying, "Oh, Winks!" I, almost like whenever we drop points and Winks is in the team, people just mention him. Oh, it's because Winks was playing. The two best things that we did in this game were to win the penalty, which was all Winks playing a great ball to Son. And to be fair, I thought Son had a poor game, but he did great to win that penalty. He did really fast feet to give to to fool the centre-back who got the red card. Um, and Winks also set up the, the goal, I'm going to call it that, that Kane scored because it was a goal under any normal human brain that looks at that goal. It's a goal. So the two best bits of play for the game came from Winks. So to sort of scapegoat him here, I think is, is really unfair. Um, and if you're going to look at this in terms of what we were missing, Winks was actually providing decent passes. Um, the player that I would have taken off to, and this is backing up what Lucas said, that you could say Kante got it wrong, is, and this isn't a hatred of this player, because I, I like Hoybier, but I don't think Hojbjerg did anything in that game, because why do you need a ball-winning battling central midfielder when you've got the ball for 80% of the half or 90, you know, you've got all the ball. You don't need Hojbjerg. What's he doing in that game? That's where, again, to Lucas's point, you could argue Conte got it wrong because I would have kept Winks on but subbed out Hoybier and brought on Dombelli in that situation. Uh, Lucas, you want to respond? It looks like.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think that again, one of the just aggressive moves that you could have made is bringing on Brian Hill. Brian Hill did more in 10 minutes than the other wing backs did in the rest of that 80 minutes that they were in. He did more so it's that's where I'm like you could have got get that aggressive early. Don't wait till it's 80 because there was when the second half started there was about a 25-minute window where Southampton is still thinking we can go and we can win this. But then once that ends and it's about the 68th to 75th minute, somewhere in that range, Southampton closes it up, parks the bus and says, come break us down. Well, that's not the time to bring on your creative guy that's going to whip balls into the box because they're all going to be in the box. So it's like we could have been aggressive. When you have a guy, it's 1-1, up a man, You have all of halftime to break this down and say, hey, look, this is our game plan. This is how we're going to go after it. That's where I would just have loved to see us be a little bit more aggressive. Because that's the time that Southampton's going to be a little bit more loose and okay with it. And it's going to be an open game. But as soon as they park that bus, that's been a thing that we've seen time and time again is we don't have the personnel that can break down a team, even with 10 men, that wants to sit behind the ball. If a team wants to sit behind the ball and time is running out, we've never cracked them down. Not a thing with our personnel. So I would love to see Conti say, look, we're going to go after it here at halftime versus yeah, we'll start really getting after it in 70 when they're just starting to put it behind the bus.
0: Well, and to be fair to Conte, and obviously it's not a comparable thing, like we... Oh, uh, Conte's
2: a god, by the way. I don't want yeah, to, uh,
0: Like, I want, like for,
2: the, for the record, I want that. Uh, I have a Conte flag on my wall, so the, the, I'm just saying this is the one criticism I've ever had of him, so...
0: Yeah, uh, but uh, but yeah, to be fair to h- him here, like even when we put in Ndombele... Uh, like played in Dombele to start in matches where we've been up a man, where the t- the opponent's playing defensive, uh, we still have struggled to break teams down. And granted, that was under his uh, coaching, so I think it's a completely different ball game. But possibly, if this doesn't bode well for for him, like he's he's certainly looking for a different type of attacking midfielder that he wants to be able to bring bring into his matches. Uh, um, and it doesn't seem to be in Don Belay that he fancies uh, at this point. so it's, I think it's certainly time to move him on. We, we've we, we've seen him ride the bench for too many coaches now at being our top transfer still. like we still haven't topped that uh, transfer. So I, th- I do think it's time to go. Um, final thoughts on this uh, Southampton match before we go to MVP LVP uh, Joe.
1: Yeah, just, just uh, before this game, I actually predicted this game would be a draw, not based on anything other than just dumb kind of intuition that we'd kind of do a bad game. We've been playing well, really well since Conte came in, and it's very hard in the Premier League to do that, you know. Um, you know we're looking at even teams as strong as squad as chelsea are struggling at the moment they're dropping points it's it's really hard to maintain it and i just felt we were due a bad performance so although we've been quite negative and quite fairly you know i think everyone's made good comments here but i i just want to sort of say look this this is normal like you're not going to play well every game it's impossible and it's not a disaster um southampton were aggressive they they did some things really well like their offside Trap was worked perfectly. It was funny because last season when we scored five there, their offside trap was a disaster. This game, the way they played Ben Davis offside for that disallowed goal was like I've never seen a more perfectly uh, organized offside trap. So credit to them for being aggressive and um, you know doing well. And let's not kind of be too down on this. I think we're still in a good place despite the two drop points.
0: Yeah, we dropped two points, but uh, like we were bound to in this with this fixture congestion and of all the matches, this is probably the one we're most okay with dropping two on and and getting the the three points and the rest, I would think. Um, so good, good shout there. Um, let's uh, uh, let's go to MVP and let's start with Lucas first. All
2: right, mine was Kane. Um... It wasn't because he scored the penalty, which was a last penalty, by the way. Uh no, it's just I loved his involvement. It seems like he's back to old our Harry. It's like our Harry's back and he's just he's got his third and three and it seems like he's up front just itching to score again and he didn't have to drop super deep into the midfield to try and create something. It seems like our Harry was back and he looked super up for it. So
3: he was
0: my MVP. Let's go to Jeffrey next.
3: Yeah, I would agree it was Kane. Um, yeah, he has finally scored in several matches in a row. He should have had a brace in this game, and it's kind of insane that we're almost at January, and he hasn't had a multiple-goal game except for the Europa, you know, Europa Conference. Um, so, yeah, this was really good to see, and hopefully
0: it'll continue. Good good shout there, Jeff. Thank you so much. Uh, Let's go to Joe.
1: Yep, agreed with what you both said. I'm going to say Kane for the same reasons. and Very unlucky not to have uh, scored that second goal and not to have won us the game. Okay,
0: great. Uh, I'll agree with you guys, and we'll just make it a full sweep. Um, Let's go back to Lucas for LVP. I
2: didn't know who I should go with with. Hoybeer Beer or Delhi? Those are my two that I just sat between. But I went with Delhi because I expected more. Um, I expected just again. These are your auditions. Do you want to go or do you want to stay? Do you want to be sold in January, loaned in January? These are your times to shine. So, uh, yeah, Delhi was useless for about the first thirty-five minutes. So that was Delhi's my LVP.
0: Uh, okay, yeah, I, I can agree with that. I can see what you're saying there. Uh, Jeff, Who do you have?
3: Um, yeah, I had a long list, but going back to what you said, Anthony, this was only 48 hours after the previous game, so I'm going to cut a lot of guys slack for the entire mm. I'm going to say Delhi too, <laughs> like Lucas did. I can remember about two plays that he made the entire game, and it seems like any time he starts, he's gone within the first 15 minutes of the second half. Right? He, he does not play in the second half for whatever reason. He didn't play in the first half for this one. And there's people who are complaining, oh, he doesn't usually play on the right side there. He's out of position. Brian Hill came in for 15 minutes and played right wing back and did more there than Delhi did in his whole entire time. And Brian Hill is not a right wing back. Yeah. And do- Doherty over on the left. So I mean, you yeah, know, there's only so many excuses you can make for Delhi, right? He he looked kind of nice against mm. Liverpool, like maybe there'd be something. But he's done that how many times? And then he's not consistent and doesn't come through. But I do want to say it is concerning. Like, Lucas, I agree with your two finalists. It's concerning how much Holy Bear is starting to show up in the LVP list, like um Yeah, he's he's slow and limited. There's there's a lot of good things about him that I like, but um, yeah, he really seems to be the midfielder we need to we need to replace and just have him be rotating through.
0: Well, and and you make a good point there on like uh, we we're using Doherty uh, on on the left, and then uh, eventually Brian Hill on uh, on the right wing back role, like. we were obviously like n- n- not fit for this fixture congestion and uh, working on solutions. Um, so that d- is a bit of an explanation for what we saw that, that, that we probably even haven't completely tackled this, th- this episode. So good, good points there. Uh,
1: Joe, who do you have for, uh, LVP? Yeah, um, for me as well. I'm I'm thinking Delhi because although I I did think a few players had an off day on this game, which as we've already said is is forgivable. Um, I just don't think Delhi. I don't remember him doing anything. Like um, I thought, for example, Sun had a pretty bad game, but he did win the penalty. Um, Sanchez, <laughs> he's often my LVP. I, on the ball, he's so. Ropy, and I, I panic every time he has the ball, but I've got to give him credit. He made a brilliant sliding tackle in the last minute to save us uh, even a point from the game when Dyer actually made a mistake and Sanchez saved it. So it's not him. Delhi, I don't remember do, Delhi doing anything of note in this game. And again, we talked about how Conte's given these players chances, and this felt like a real missed opportunity for Delhi. I'm just going to take a slightly different opinion on, on Hoybier, if I may, just quickly, because. Although he didn't, and I already said he was, I would have taken him off in this game, I, I don't think it's because he was bad per se. I don't think it's because he played badly. I think with our midfielders, we have midfielders who are limited, right? They'll do a, like Hoybier is great at battling, winning the ball. You know, he, he does some things really well. This wasn't a game for Hoybier against 10 men who were defending deep. It just wasn't the right game for him. And I think the same applies in different way to Winks. People often call Winks out, but he has a specific skill set that's just suited to certain games. Like he's very good at keeping possession. Like for a possession-based team, he's he does a good job. He's got a good passing range and and so on. So I, I don't think it's how J- Ho- was bad. I just don't think he was right for this game. Um, but I I agree with what everyone said. I just wanted to make that point. Go uh, on. I yeah,
2: I just I wanted to clarify for Joe. Like when I said Hoyer was up for LVP. I didn't mean like you had the worst game, like mm. you were the least valuable yeah. person out there. Sure, sure. Like yeah. when it went when we went one-one, it was just you had no business being out there anymore. Yeah, I didn't think Hoibier had a bad game at all. Like I don't want to throw him under the bus, but yeah, it just that was all I meant was that when yeah. it got to that one-one, we got ten men up. It's like you are now the least valuable person sure there's nothing you're going to add that's going to win us this game you can add a million things that are going to win us a lot of games but that wasn't the moment or the game for it
0: well and i have to agree with you guys on lvp deliele like uh, unfortunately like, can like we want to bring up his uh, his sale value or at least loan value and, uh, he obviously didn't do that, uh, with this match. Um, I, maybe he helped himself a little bit earlier in the week. Um, and we'll see how it goes as we go into the, the January window. Cause I don't think he's going to be with us much longer at this point, but, um, but yeah, he, he wasn't very good. I could make a case for uh, like, and you've talked about winks earlier, Joe, um, There were some Winks plays, especially defensive plays, that were just god-awful and just looked ugly. But then he had some brilliant attacking moments, and he's kind of become that type of player. Like, if Conte can fit him into the mold of what he wants him to do and uh, avoid him having to do those other things, and and I think that's what the problem is. Like, yeah, I, I just don't think he's very good with the ball at his feet, Anywhere near the center front of the goal, like like passes that he makes under in those circumstances under pressure always seem to get him into trouble. Um, but then he can just be excellent with going forward. Like he could have been my LVP, but because of some of those terrific passes, like like those were almost MVP quality passes that w- that we saw. He certainly can't be there for me. So, yeah, Delhi. I think you guys are right. And Jeff, you want to jump in there?
3: Oh, I was just going to say on the Winks front, front, because usually, yeah, I'm on the get Winks out of here trade. But I really think under Conte, he has shown that he has a place here um, and he can be a useful midfielder and rotate through. Um, He did have that terrifying moment (laughs) in the fact that you were referring to there. he couldn't find anybody to pass to. So it's like kick it out of bounds here. He's a trail. Instead he turned it over and luckily they didn't score. But um we have so many players like that though. You know, Winks is this way where in that in in this game he was both brilliant and terrifying. You know, Dyer does that on a regular basis. Um, you know, Lucas has done it. You know, it's just <laughs> it gets insane that we have so many guys who from minute to minute you know, can can look uh, completely incompetent and then suddenly become heroes. Um, And hopefully, Conte can iron that out and make them consistent.
0: Uh, Lucas, uh, final thoughts on LVP. All right,
2: (laughs) right, final thoughts on Winks. I just want to say the only difference between Lucas and Winks is when Lucas makes the crazy run and doesn't make the pass or loses the ball, it's always in and or around their box. When Winks does these same kind of things, it usually tends to be at the midfield or behind, which is why we judge. We judge mm. the same way. It's like when when Hugo or Dyer makes a mistake, we crucify them because it leads to a goal. But Sun missing an open chance against West Ham, like that's fine because like, it's Whatever, but no, it, sh- it it should be there's some kind of so I'm trying to like defend winks here because mm. when he makes mistakes that lead to a goal, it's like, okay, but when Dyer does it, or when it, it you, you guys kind of get where I'm coming from, where it's like we have a when it's defensive oriented, the mistakes are so much more magnified than when you make mistakes. My God, Harry Kane missed a fucking sitter with his head three yards out in the Liverpool box. Like, take that, we win the game. No one remembers that. Instead, it's how about the other mistake that was made by a defender or like when Dyer fucked up? So.
0: Good, good, good point there to to bring us back into reality when we take. Yeah, like. When we, we come after certain players. Um, uh, so- and w-
1: Winx is a Spurs. I- I'm very I have a little bit more patience with Winks because he's a Tottenham lad, he came through the youth system, you know, he's been a Spurs fan. And to me, maybe I'm being over sentimental, but that counts a little bit. But also, Winx isn't on big wages, Winks is a squad player, he's probably happy to be a squad player, he doesn't expect to start every week, he's probably happy to come in when called upon. And player you know like a take a back seat almost, and that's we need that right we you've got this homegrown quotes where we have to have i forget exactly how many x number of English players, and he's a homegrown player from the club as well Has just been English, but Tottenham produced player if you're talking about from a resources perspective like winks. Or someone like Andonbeli and Lo Celso, For me, you no way should Winks be getting a lot of flack. It should be LaCelso L- and Dombelli.
3: needs to be sold.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Sell way over Winks. And
2: then sell them out, and then we stop flacking
3: off Winks.
1: Yeah, except I'm for, I agree. except
3: for Rick. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, is
3: absolutely right. The biggest thing is. We need him for Europe next year to, yeah. to meet all the quotas. I mean, if Conte can make Winks a successful rotation piece, that's huge. Yeah, we, we, that's a spot in the squad that we absolutely have to have.
0: Yeah. 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 And I think he showed, uh, I believe it was the West Ham match uh, that, like, he really showed that he could be that piece. Uh, um, like, the, he, he has a role that he can, uh, or no i'm sorry it was probably liverpool I think liverpool yeah yeah liverpool they yeah. had a the really good performance that's what i'm thinking of i have to go back that
1: far but uh, i don't think the games are all muddled together it's, it's hard to differentiate at the moment between matches. yeah,
0: yeah no definitely well a uh, great conversation there uh but we uh, we need to move the the conversation along and preview this Watford match we're going to make this really fast uh because we are running long uh, uh, as an episode So I'm just my abbreviated preview. Currently, Watford is sitting in 17th place in the league. We're taking them on January 1st, so this is a New Year's Day match at 9 a.m. 17th place in the league with 13 points, four wins, one draw, and 12 losses. Um, They did lose uh, bad to West Ham this past Tuesday. Prior to that, they had three straight postponements. uh, Wolves, Palace, Burnley, and then they lost to Brentford. Prior to that, they they have uh, Leicester in the cup on Saturday, uh, the January eighth. After this match, Um, Emmanuel Dennis is their top goal scorer with seven. Uh, He he also has is their top assist guy, top rated player. Sissoko is their second top rated player. at seven point zero nine. There you go, Rick. and uh, going backwards, uh, the last five times we played him a win-draw-draw, win-win. I'm not going to go into the details of that. but uh, So we did beat them 1-0 earlier this season with Nuno. Uh, how are you guys feeling on this Watford
1: away match? Uh, let's start with Joe first. I feel pretty good about this one. I think we had our blip which was the Southampton game, and I think we're going to come back strong, especially having the frustration of not having got the win against Southampton. And the fact that we don't have another game in the Premier League for, unless I'm misremembering this, for a couple of weeks, the next game is Markham after the Watford game. So I think we can perhaps play a full-strength team against Watford and not worry too much, no disrespect to my Lancashire Friends of Markham, but I don't think that's going to be a big, <laughs> a big headache for us. So I, I'm I'm pretty optimistic about this one, Anthony. I think we're going to go in a, a, with a good a, a approach, and I, I fancy us to win this game.
0: I I can agree with that. Let's go to uh, Jeff next.
3: Yeah, I agree. I, I think we'll, we should be able to get a win from this one. Yeah, you know, especially I'm sure Kante has been drilling in the uh, the Southampton. Uh, lessons learned, so I would expect us to
0: win this. Yeah, yeah, and they're coming back into, like, after having a long uh, spell with COVID uh, and not looking good against West Ham, um, I don't see them uh, shaping up or having the depth to shape up for this match Uh, for us. Lucas, what are your thoughts?
2: Uh, The reasons I'm positive are that Us and Leicester that they play, and then they have Norwich and Newcastle. After that, so I I like to think that they're gonna focus on which games actually matter. Is the two teams that are fighting you for relegation. So those are where you need your three points. Like not against us and Leicester, but it's again it's. Ah, oh, God! And again, just playing at Vicarage Road. I'm like, they always seem to be up for it. Mm. The fact that Sissoko's there, we can all have a laugh. <laughs> but that actually makes me more nervous because I remember <sighs> Sissoko bashing us in when he was at Newcastle.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, fun, fun story. I just did the skywalk at uh, White Hart Lane. The dare to skywalk or whatever. The whole time I was up there, I was looking for Sissoko. Shots or crosses. Like, they have to be waiting for you up there. Yeah, like, got it.
1: There
2: have to be a few up here. But, I mean, Mm. with Watford, it's to them, I I absolutely see them sitting back and letting us have the ball. And to that, that's always the scariest bit. I love when a team comes out and plays us because we have no. Liverpool had no match to us. In our counterattack. There is no counterattack. Who do we have that's gonna break them down? And that's where I kind of get spooked. Is do we have the guys that can finish? Because again, Sun and Southampton had a few that he could absolutely hammer home, or Kane this entire season had a handful that he could hammer home. So it's if a team wants to just let us have the ball, park the bus and say will take a point. Especially a team like Watford that has done it before at Vicarage Road. I'm like, well, that's where I kind of get nervous.
0: And it is the 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 their their home. um, This is home for them. So hopefully they will. They'd love to get a point
2: against Spurs. That'd be
0: yeah.
2: That'd be welcome to 2022. That'd be a big New Year's kickoff for them.
0: Yeah, no, and it, 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 and when you're tr- just trying to avoid relegation, like the point is enough against a team like Tottenham. So I understand your point. Like uh, this, that that is a little nervy. Like, how do we break them down? Um, and I think the answer is a quick and early goal. Like we can't come out looking soft and and like we can't have the starts that we had all an- this Anthony, past.
2: That- Anthony, that's where I'm like being nervous is we never come out with the quick and early goal. We just don't that's not something we usually wait till twenty or till they score or something like that. We usually have this thing where we don't come out and we don't aggressively get that first goal in the first eight minutes or something like that, which is what needs to happen turn that. 1-1 one, one draw into a 4-1 win. Yeah. like We need we need to come out, and we need to get that early goal against a team that's willing to park the bus. The question is, are we? I'm nervous, but I'm under the belief that Conti will have us geared up for that. So I think we will.
0: Uh, final thoughts before we go to predictions. Okay, let's go to predictions, and we'll start with Joe first.
1: I'm I read this how's this for a crazy prediction Suzoko will score a goal against us that's and he's gonna score from 40, 40 yards. yards no that's no um I'm half joking I don't know
2: away with that.
1: <laughs> Away with that. Um, I think we're going to win. I do. I'm pretty confident. But Watford are not a terrible team. They've improved quite a bit. You know, They beat Manchester United not too long ago. Um, this guy, Dennis, has been pretty useful for them as a striker. Quite a good goal record. I think we'll win 2-1. I'm going to say Kane's going to keep up his good recent goal scoring that we didn't see at the early part in the season. And he's going to score both goals in a 2-1 victory for Spurs.
0: That's, that seems possible. That, that, that seems like a possible solution. Let's go to Jeff next.
3: Um, I'm going to go on the higher end. I mean, I think when Ranieri took over Watford, he made a difference, and Watford looked a lot more competent. But then since then, I think they're like 2-7, 2-8 under him, um, and they just fell apart against West Ham midweek. So I'm going to say we win this one 4 nothing. Um, I think Kane finally gets his place, Lucas gets one, and i got to go
0: with Skip to finally score. Uh, I want to see a skip goal. I I, I, I hope that happens. Uh, Lucas?
2: Yeah, I think they definitely score. Again, with the West Ham reference, Watford was up for it and got one in within the first 10 minutes. So, um, But I think we win. We win 3-1. Kane has two, just continues this form, says he's up for it, and Lucas gets the other. 3 1, two to Kane, one to Lucas.
0: Uh, I I was somewhere between Lucas and Jeff here. I was thinking like 4 0 for a second, then I was thinking, no, 3 1 seems more probable, and then Lucas said that one. So I, I'm going to split the difference and say like 4 1. Um... <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: gonna be it's gonna be a Danny Rose assist to Sissoko or something like that. Something that would just be the worst.
0: <laughs> well, it, it, what, <sighs> uh, hear me out with my prediction, okay? So I, I I do think it's going to be a Kane brace because I think he, he Kane is starting starting to come back. I think we get one from Sun, and I think the last one is, and I'm not gonna say which. It's going to be an ex spur player own goal. Whether that's Danny Rose or Sissoko, it's like an expert player, own goal is that fourth goal. uh, It would be Danny. (laughs) Danny would hammer (laughs) it in for the boys. (laughs) I hope it's, yeah, I think it's Danny. It's got to be Danny Rose probably, but if it's Sissoko, it counts too. I'm just hedging my bet a little bit. But um, any final thoughts on this uh, episode? So we had three big matches this week. uh, Still uh, Conte undefeated um and uh we got a match coming up and then it's go- it's going to stay busy with the FA Cup coming after that and uh and and I'm sure we a lot of makeup games uh midweek uh expected in January and February. Um what are your guys final thoughts here as we wrap up this episode Lucas?
2: Right, my last thoughts are everyone everyone listening if you're in the Chicago area come out to the pub on New Year's Day. If you feel okay, you have no. I I know we had bad results on Boxing Day because everyone was worried about this new variant. But guys, look, if you feel fine, vaccinated, all of that, crack like come out. Be a great day out, and we're gonna smash Watford. So please come support the pub. Like be out there with the rest of us, and you can watch us smash. Watt bird in your living room, or you can watch us smash it with the rest of the boys. So,
0: yeah. And I think, like, obviously, we're in nervy times. Like, we don't know where things are going with variants, but, um, I'm also well, a
2: paramedic, so that,
0: <laughs> yeah, <that>
2: helps.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but, but I think we got to get back to it. It's, it's like, I, I'm very excited for things to, um, for the crowds to come back um and stay back like and kind of get past this pandemic and um in new years it should be a great day out if you feel well (laughs) definitely come out
2: yeah if you're fine you're vaccinated you feel fine so are the rest of us no one else will be allowed in like fun yeah unless you live in highland park then that's a weird move then don't come out (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, and I think starting the third in Chicago, um, uh, you're going to be required to show your vaccination record before going into bars and restaurants. So um, so the Atlantic will have to follow that. Um, uh, th- th- they'll handle that management. But um, th- definitely start feeling free to come back if you haven't already. It's It's been the environment's coming back and it's been exciting. Um any other final thoughts? Uh Jeff?
3: Yeah, just gonna say I mean it feels good to be excited at the end of the year this year and yes. looking forward to next year. And um I'm really interested to see when Conte and Paradici have their fabled meeting um coming up soon. You know, what we do in January, how many people we try to bring in and move out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, imagine
3: being uh,
2: imagine being a fly in the wall for that combo. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, definitely, uh, Joe.
1: Yeah, just to back up Jeff, there's a lot to feel good about um, this year. Um, I think we're going to do some exciting stuff in January. And I just, my little thing here, I just wanted to wish Happy New Year to all of you and everyone listening. Have a great 2022. Can't believe it's come around that, but I feel like it's going to be a good year for Tottenham and a good year for everyone. So, here's to that. Yeah, oh, thanks so much,
0: and I, I agree. Happy New Year, everybody. But that about wraps up the when episode.
1: When ends in two. Yes. <laughs> when the year
0: ends in two. <laughs> uh, thanks so much to uh, Rick for editing and sound tonight, uh, Charlie for the music, Kevin for social media, Kimberly for the logo, and as always, the Atlantic Bar and Grill. Uh, for having a place to watch and uh, recording there when we can. Uh, Find our merchandise at Big Ed Media. Find us now on both Spotify and Stitcher. Hit the subscribe button and write us a review on iTunes if you like our podcast or give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter and Facebook at Four Star Spurs and our website at fourstarspurs.com Come on you Spurs!